Ghosts are horny. Spooky. Revisiting female violence. <laughs> that could be any of these episodes. I, I hate to bring up <laughs> bugs. Once again, I have to bring up bugs. Six quick and easy steps for your common demon summoning. I accept this headcanon. Liberal propaganda. Damn cucks. This is a John Winchester hate zone. Could have had mm-hmm. Killer Optimus Prime and he had to be racist. To be fucking racist. Persqueeter. Hi and welcome to On the Road with Supernatural, the podcast where we watch and discuss Supernatural episode to episode from the beginning. I'm Jasper Graydon. I'm Jordan Grimm. And I'm Ripley. And we'll be your hosts for this Monster of the Week journey through American folklore and Christian mythology. Okay, so let's say a siren is trying to con you out of all of your savings and get you to murder your significant other or important person in your life. How would they be disguised to be your dream partner? Ooh, okay. For me, it's going to be one of either two options, which makes it really hard. Uh-oh. Because they can trick me two ways. Uh-oh. It's either going to be a man with really flowing locks or a really buff woman and nothing in between. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe something in between. I don't know. We'll see. But what about you, Ripley? What's your siren song showing you? Um, gosh, they'd probably be either a cute femme with glasses or more on the, like, androgynous side. Definitely with glasses, though. And bright eyes. I love that. I love that. The floating pair of glasses and Ripley's weak weak at the knees. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of sad we don't have Allie here for this one so we could hear about her horrible types. Oh my gosh, totally unhinged old wrinkly men with like elephant ears and like a crooked nose oh no (laughs) are like tall british and their parents looked probably a little too closely to each other (laughs) tall british and potato (laughs) 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 trifecta yep that's how you get Allie. <laughs> oh, if you guys want to know Allie's exact type, look up the comedian James A. Caster. Blonde oh hair, paper, God. thin skin. I was literally hair, thinking paper. Benedict Cumberbatch. Who? I know. That's not- and that's then uh, that's like on the more acceptable range of her preferences. <laughs> you know the siren kind of looks like Benedict Number Dunch. <laughs> no, he doesn't. I'll tell you exactly who he looks like when we get there. But let me tell you about how the siren's going to get me first. I have to talk about me, Jordan. <laughs> I have like a really specific type and it doesn't really seem to matter like the gender or what have you of the person, which, okay, let's be clear. I'm not actually this picky, but this is like in an ideal world. Okay. Someone a lot taller than me who has long, dark hair and looks like they haven't slept in a while and (laughs) has really bad RBF. (laughs) Probably like on the alternative style sort of spectrum, 
but like kind of looks like they used to either be like hardcore goth or emo, but they're sort of drifted out of that phase. But they don't really care as much about their appearance now, but they're still kind of clean. And they definitely have too many leather items in their closet. So dirty aesthetic, not dirty hygiene. Yeah, basically. <laughs> That's very fair. <laughs> <laughs> like if you go out with me to a bar, you'll be able to find this person and be like, that one, like instantly. Yeah, especially at the Columbus gay bars. Oh yeah. They're just full of these folks for me. <laughs> well, there you go. Pick them like roses in the garden then. I, is, that an, is that an idiom? I don't know if I know that one. Maybe. I don't know. Sometimes my just brain goes and my mouth You're follows. You're just making up colloquialisms. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. It's beautiful. You've got a beautiful mind. Thank you. Today's episode is season four, episode 14, Sex and Violence, the one where the boys fight over monster blissy. This episode was written by Katherine Humphreys and directed by Charles Beeson and originally aired on February 5th, 2009. Sorry, I just forgot how unhinged that title is. Sex and Violence. <laughs> oh, no. our title, sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean... First off, it was your idea. <laughs> it's a truly unhinged. Right under the bus. And second, were you wrong? <laughs> no, no. <I> wasn't. <laughs> That's what's crazy. <laughs> Personally, I feel like the original title of the episode, Sex and Violence, is really unhinged, too. Because they try and sell us this whatever garbage about, like, oh, what Sam, what Dean wants from the siren is brotherly affection. affection. I'm like, <laughs> okay, the title of the episode is not brotherly affection and violence. <laughs> it's not, like, expansive and varied different kinds of love and relationships and violence. And violence. <laughs> it's literally sex and violence. So, like, get the fuck out of here with that. Miss Catherine, yeah. I respect you. <laughs> However, this episode is so gay. There is it's nothing so straight about this episode except for Sam. Aggressively Sam. <laughs> Aggressively. <laughs> and honestly, they, they had to make him super straight to be a red herring, to create a red herring situation. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know. It's just so weird. Even his whole heterosexuality red herring makes the Dean bit and like the the rest of it even gayer. It's, it's so yes. much gayer. They're mirroring the two different dynamics. So you're like, I see in this dynamic, there is one of the brothers and one person who is an object of sexual attraction. I'm, I'm seeing the vision. Like, you can't fool me. I watch a lot of TV. <laughs> but yeah, let's back seriously. up. Let's back up. Let's back up. <laughs> Getting ahead of ourselves. This episode just gets me real whipped up into a frenzy. But let's calm down. And what better to calm us down than a very straightforward cold open where someone murders his wife in cold blood with a meat tenderizer. Yep. So the trope with sirens is that they're the alluring seductress that brings men into their death. They're going to, like, take that, and then they're like, how can we take this alluring seductress and make it violent towards women, and exclusively women? Oh, of course. Well, and Dean. <laughs> and Dean. <laughs> and Dean. <laughs> yeah. 
I feel like Dean is just included in and women now because of how these episodes seem to be playing out. It's really funny you say that um, because of how often he is the damsel in distress. Did y'all um, pick up on the fact that the first shot is a hammer beating meat? It's such low hanging fruit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, beating the meat. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I hadn't thought of that, um, <laughs> but you're right. Gross. I know, I know. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, when your husband's gone all the time banging a sex worker that you don't know about, of course you're going to be at home beating your meat. <laughs> what else? <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. That's just how it's going to be. And then get inevitably your meat beaten by your husband, I guess. Ay, ay. Yeah, your ay, ay. brain meat. I guess. <laughs> Your fatty tissues. I'm sorry, that was gross. I don't know why I said that. Anyway, I find this cold open unremarkable, but it gets the job done. Good enough for me. Moving right along. I need to talk about the colors in this episode. I know we talked a lot about the colors in um, Lazarus Rising, but this episode very, very much follows that same kind of idea where we have the tension between Sam and Dean, so we're flipping back and forth between this green palette and this green aesthetic and the red and black one later. Um, and we open the scene from Dean's POV being a sneaky little eavesdropper in this completely <laughs> green hotel room. Which I just love so much. The motels were very aesthetic in this episode, which we had departed from a little bit in the previous episodes, so I'm glad we've returned. Yeah, there haven't been too many, like, insanely cringy or, like, wonderfully aesthetic kind of hotels or motel rooms at all in this season. I feel like with the exception of that first episode, and then it's the Great Pumpkin, Sam Winchester. Those are the only ones that really stick out in my head. This one is really pretty. They love their shiny wall decals in this episode. They this really one do. had like an almost like it's somewhere in between like a paisley and a damask kind of gold detail. And then later they have the black medieval style lions on the red wall. It's good stuff. Yeah, it is. Love to build a vibe. <laughs> I have a question. Might have an answer. I bet, you know, I bet you do. <laughs> so we find out at the end of the episode why Sam is keeping everything a secret, allegedly. And he's like, well, you're just going to get in my way. But I'm still watching this at the beginning, like thinking to myself, why is he bothering to keep it a secret that he's actively looking for Lilith? There's like a disconnect in logic there for me. So my thing is, well, for one, like the keeping secrets from each other is kind of, I don't know, I don't feel very strongly about it anymore because they've been keeping secrets from each other since the very first episode. That's right. like the only consistent in their lives and their relationship <laughs> is that they love keeping secrets from each other that don't need to be secrets. Right. Yeah, for two, I was like, aren't we all supposed to be hunting down Lilith? Isn't she the big bad this season? Yeah. For three, like, why doesn't he just run off with Ruby? He can meet back up with his brother. Like, go do your do your do's and then come back. Yeah. I think maybe he's yeah. probably aware that if he was like, I'm gonna go do some stuff by myself, it would cause like a huge fight between the two of them. Which like obviously that's not really Sam's problem, that's more Dean's problem. But, you know. It is kind of a true point though, that they could just kind of do their own thing for a little while. But then again, Codependence is Winchester way, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Or at least with the two of them. I couldn't say especially. I mean, would being super codependent with their dad be that much better than him completely neglecting them? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. It's all bad. Yes, it is, unfortunately. Womp womp. The whole fake sleeping thing, though, I don't know, it just felt a little out of character for Dean, which also felt very in character. I thought it was fun. Oh, like him being like, I'm spying, so I'm going to pretend to be asleep. Yeah. And then when he caught him out, Sam was like, I was dumping. (laughs) What about it? It's the perfect excuse. I was just like, close the door, Sam, when you're having a secret conversation. No kidding. Right. And, and like bathrooms are like always echoey, too. I'm like, yeah. I'm like go outside. Like, <laughs> what is wrong with you? The math ain't math in Winchesters. <laughs> <laughs> They're both such stupid idiots. I love them. <laughs> I was really excited that Bobby is back in the loop. I feel like we haven't seen him yeah. in a while. Bobby! Bobby. The last time we had Bobby, he wasn't even there. Oh, yeah. They were just like, he's in hedonism. And yes! <laughs> <laughs> the and banana a hammock. cap and a banana hammock. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good for him. So, Jordan, what did you think of Bobby's setup with the phones and everything? Oh, I loved it. I just like the... Bobby, I, it was so funny because I felt like, I don't know if you listened to the beginning of this podcast, Ripley, but I always was like, oh no, Crossroad Demons are just going to be the mystical catch-all, but really, it's Bobby is the plot catch-all. Right. Like, oh, we need to explain <laughs> yeah. something away. It's Bobby. It's the tool Bobby's belt. taking care of it. Yeah, right, exactly. The tool belt. It works, though, with Bobby. It does. Like, I feel like sometimes it's, like, too easy. Like, I feel like it can kind of get that way with certain... In different shows, like when you have a character who's like psychic or like, I don't know, a character who works at a library and just knows everything or like things like that. But for whatever reason with Bobby, they just sell it really well. Like I'm so willing to believe that he is extremely studied in all these different areas and also, you know, does all these phone lines and also, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's something about the way he's kind of characterized as like a hick. I don't know, like just some ignorant Joe Schmo, but he's actually the opposite of that. I don't know. I think maybe that's why it works for me. Yeah, Yeah. there's the dichotomy there of the, you know, the trucker appearance and everything. He lives in the junkyard, you know, but then he turns around and he can spout lore and facts and he can make a mean cornbread while pretending to be an FBI agent. Yeah, oh my gosh. I love that little (laughs) scene. And his fucking kiss the cook apron destroys me. He's so good. I just love, he like, just without even stuttering, directly in character. It's incredible to me. What a guy. He can do it Mm -hmm. all. Truly a renaissance man. (laughs) What did we make of, to talk about sort of the, the main plot or the case going on in this episode... What did we think about the ways in which sex work, particularly stripping, but, you know, just sex work in general, were discussed and worked around throughout the narrative here? 
So before I get into the negatives, I will say the one positive was the club owner yeah. who um, did correct the boys and also was pretty much like, you know, mind your business. Like they're not here to be named or followed around. Yeah. But I do feel like that also kind of underwrote itself because after he collect- corrected them, it went straight back to stripper for the rest of the episode. <laughs> Yeah, I will say, and I mean, I, like, I'm not a stripper. I don't do sex work um, in any capacity, and I haven't done. But I've known a lot of people who have, and most of them are totally fine just being like, yeah, I strip at wherever. Yeah. So, like, for me, it didn't feel as egregious as, like, some of the other episodes where they'll be like, yeah. oh, this, like, hooker or whatever. I'm like, yeah. y'all... <laughs> So it's like, there's that. I agree about the club owner. And I think it's funny you bring that up because I think we're supposed to be frustrated with that character, but I just hate cops so much. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, good for him for sticking up for his employees. Yeah, absolutely. I will say, too, about the whole sex work thing in here, there was also this kind of, like, undercurrent of, like, indulging in sex work or the existence of sex workers is inherently harmful yeah. to kind of women in more traditional roles, yeah. specifically wives yeah, and mothers. Which is, like, it's not just blatantly false, right? It's yeah. also, like, it ignores the humanity of the women in sex work, And um, while I think, like, they do, for once, avoid this idea that, like, women in sex work are all trafficked or they're coercively or something. Like, they avoid that. Yeah. There's still, yeah, this idea that, like, not only are they harmful to, like, more traditional, traditional with big air quotes here going on since you can't see me. Um, more traditional women's roles. There's this idea that they're also dangerous to more like normie, like Joe Schmo kind of guys as yeah. well. Like they're inherently trying to trick you, which they're not doing. You're paying them for a service. Like the same way you would tip a server, you're going to tip a dancer because that's what you do. So like it's it's transactional and the idea somehow that it's like this insidious kind of thing is just really eye-rolly to me. But that's like a pervasive issue and not like a supernatural issue, I guess. Yeah, um, I will make one last statement about it, too. Um, There is also this assumption in this episode, at least because of the stories of the sex workers that they're telling, there is, like, this assumption that most of the girls working in this club are going home with the men, and that tends to be not what happens in real, like, strip clubs, and that, like, strippers are just to be bought by these average men, too, which kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but... Right, totally. Yeah, definitely sometimes almost came off like this is typical behavior, but the siren is just taking it a step further. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The person who directed are the people who wrote this episode. They were definitely not trying to paint sex workers in a positive light. So I guess taking that into consideration as we move forward. Yeah, for sure. Which, you know, I find that, like, to be, for the setting of this um, show, to be kind of a, a missed opportunity there. Because being characters that are drifters, like, the people that would be the most similar to them in terms of place in society and economic status would be people who are homeless 
and people who do other illegal work like drug dealing and sex work and things like that. So you would think that they would have like a more positive outlook on them, but I don't know. So I mentioned that for once they sort of skirt the whole like all sex women in sex work or in some sort of abusive situation narrative where I think it would have been like very easy for them to go ahead and do that especially because of the way they have Dean behaving in the first act of the episode where he's very like excited about the fact that they're gonna be talking to strippers a bunch it would have been super easy for them to have Sam be like well actually you know, but he isn't like that for once. Honestly, I much prefer Dean's attitude about it in this specific case. Like, I don't know, <laughs> they're sex workers. They they are supposed to be sexy. Like, that's the whole point. Like, they're they're trying to be looked at. That's how they're making money. So I, for once, find it appropriate. Yeah, plus, like, I think we've talked about it before, like, we don't need our characters to be perfect as long as the show understands the message yeah. that they're trying to make. So, like, I'm totally fine with Dean. Like, I think the response is appropriate, but if it wasn't... Like, I also don't think there's anything inherently wrong with going to a strip club mm-hmm. and, like, enjoying that as an activity as long as you're not harassing people who are working there and you're tipping them well. Do we want to talk about the um, conversation about sirens and the Odyssey and everything? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Ripley, did you did you end up having time to dig into anything extra about sirens? I did find something in one of my books about sirens. So basically, sirens, even though nowadays we kind of know them, sometimes more similar to a mermaid, they were originally more of a harpy. They were half bird, half woman. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple different myths about where they came from. One myth is there were birds in the meadow when Persephone was taken by Hades and Demeter was so angry, she turned the birds into half-women to make them go find her daughter. And then a second one, Aphrodite is the one who turned them into sirens because they clung to their virginity and would refuse to submit to man or God. Oh. So that's kind of a theme. Interesting. So yeah, there is an element of sex and sexuality in that particular origin. Mm-hmm. It, it interests me yeah. that it's around chastity and, and virginity, like those concepts, because I guess like the whole idea is that they're luring men to their deaths, but then they're still not like engaging in any sort of sexual activity with them at all. They just kill them, <laughs> which fair. <laughs> I mean, it kind of reminds me of the story of, like, a lot of um, female Catholic saints. Yeah. Ah. Like, they're venerated for protecting their virginity by killing a man or... Right. Or killing themselves, essentially. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, because I I feel like there is more of an understanding them as, like, a a seductress, a temptress. And that's definitely the angle that the episode takes, which is another Mm -hmm. reason I think it's hilarious. They try and do this swerve platonic thing at the end because (laughs) they're like... This whole conversation about them revolves around the idea of sex as power. And (laughs) I'm sorry, it's just so funny to me. This is a situation where there's not a red herring, it's a rainbow trout. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh my god. That was such a dad joke. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. 
I just think it's really interesting that, you know, Dean was so super excited to go to the strip club and start talking to people. But then once he gets there, he tones it down and then he's talking to Sam about the Odyssey and he's just really getting into the fact that he knows, you know, this mythology and everything. And it was just really fun. It felt like kind of like we were seeing like behind the curtain a little bit. And I love that they have that because I think in episodes like this where Dean is, you know, being a little more smarmy or whatever, usually they like go way, way far with it. Just really Mm -hmm. over the top, obnoxious behavior constantly. But then to have this little what I read moment, it's not like the Odyssey is just like a beach read, okay? Like, it's pretty difficult material, especially for someone who doesn't really have much of an education. Mm-hmm. So I just, I feel so endeared to him in moments like these. I'm like, you go, you read that book, you read that poem. Also, Greek mythology is for gay people. Yes, 100%. Yep, exclusively. One, yeah. Anything that's even remotely related to Greek mythology, it's just that much gayer. Sorry. <laughs> Our mythology in general, but especially Greek. Oh, especially Greek. Mm-hmm. What I took away from this episode is how fun it looks to be a siren. I like <laughs> jealous of this monster. I want to run around looking like Roger from American Dad, like rubbing my monster bump on people and making them like beat their biddies to death in their hospice bed. Like, I was just kind of like, go monster, you do you. You know, she's just having a nice time. Who are we to judge? (laughs) And I was just like, why? She's just like, I love love. I just want to fall in love. Over and over. And I'm like, you know what? I feel you. But to talk about the Odyssey, we have in the past mentioned, in fact, I think in the very previous episode uh, mentioned how, you know, if you bring up another piece of narrative fiction like that, that you get a lot of bang for your book because it's it says so much about that person when you bring that up. And I just love to think about the idea of Dean reading the Odyssey in particular, because it's a story about a guy who cannot go home and he is, you know, forced to endure decades of these horrible trials before he can return to his home island and just go be a guy. I have a lot of feelings. Yeah, that's not familiar. (laughs) And I think you could probably relates Sam to that as well but at this point in the story Sam has outright said that he doesn't want to go back to how he was and he also cannot go back whereas Dean we get the sense that he does just want to be a normal guy isn't part of the thing with the Odyssey and I could be wrong but uh didn't he have a wife at home wasn't that part of the thing yeah he did okay I was just kind of curious if like we could think of somebody that like Sam and Dean have left behind I guess it could be like their mom yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, definitely, it, it doesn't absolutely track one-to-one. No, and I think we can no. we can definitely talk about this more in a couple of seasons. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe at the beginning of uh, season six, this is something we could revisit. Mm-hmm. But it is something that jumps out at me as significant. Yeah. Ripley, I love that you mention how during this scene... He's not paying attention to anything going on in the club. 
because that's something I made note of as well. Same. Mm-hmm. The most he's giving these dancers is like a cursory sort of like look around. And he's yeah. way more focused on the mm-hmm. task at hand. Right, right. It's not like he's drooling all over the place. It's not like Sam has to like drag him out of the club kicking and screaming or anything. Right. Like he's just, he's on right. a mission. And I just find that so funny. Like given the previous scene, he's like so excited, so jazzed that mm-hmm. this is what they're going to be doing for the day. And then thinking about it in the context of the siren and his interactions with the siren leader, it, it becomes funny again. Because <laughs> you're like, hmm. <laughs> I can only conclude that you're just not interested in women that much. I have to talk about too. They accidentally left a blooper in this scene. So like, while it's oh? trying to be like all WB does Skinamax. Like, there's uh-huh. a woman who has, like, a sarong on or a tearaway skirt or something, but she, like, uh, pulls it off and reveals into a bikini. And mm-hmm. then um, two seconds later, Dean goes to a different table, and then they have that same actress do the same thing again. So it just makes it look oh, like yeah. she's running around flashing people. <laughs> I noticed that, too. Yeah, she was wearing, it was, like, a black, roughly, like, kind of short petticoat-looking skirt thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that might have been later when he was on his date <laughs> with oh, the yeah, siren. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I noticed that as well. Love love a little error. Remind us of the humanity of the people involved in production. <laughs> what do we make of the doctor? Dr. Roberts, Kara. Yeah. Did we like her? I thought she was very fun. I just like that she was a horny-ass doctor. Like, <laughs> she didn't even close her damn blinds when they were fucking. I couldn't look. I, I got the impression they were the only people in the clinic. Was it a clinic? Like an office or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was like a full-ass hospital. You can see in one of the scenes, there's like this odd downward angled shot that's kind of backed out. And you can see like the logo of the place. And it's basically just like a neighborhood GP. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I did like that um, we had talked about Bobby being a renaissance man. I do feel that often women, when they get put into stories, they just tend to make women whatever is there to fill up the gap, but not take up space. So it was like, I am the doctor, forensic researcher. Like, she's just everything. Right. Let's see. So she does, she's an ER doctor and also has enough admin shit that she has her own office and all that crap. And then on top of that, does stuff for uh, the morgue. Does the autopsies and toxicology and like everything. Like, man, they must not have a lot of doctors in this town. No, not at all. But definitely plenty of exotic dancer. Yeah, plenty of dancers. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> I couldn't watch it. I had to watch it between my fingers. I can't watch it. Oh, the sex Anything like that. Yes. I actually think it's one of the better ones. Same. Like that one and um, the one with Madison in season two. Those are both good. And they're both Sam ones. There's something I think about the way they characterize Sam's relationship to sex and sexuality that is just a lot more appealing, I guess, to me. I don't know. Like just the way it's directed, like he seems way more in the moment. It, It doesn't feel like we're doing a sex scene right now. I, you know, does that make any sense? Yeah. No, I agree. Like, it feels yes. like there's more heat 
Like, it's more physical and intense in that way. Vigorous. Whereas, like, the Dean ones tend to feel very emotional. Yeah. Oh, I will say, after the sex scene, when Dean is like, you know, don't, I can't trust you. You might be, um, have the toxins or whatever. And I'm like, Vin, wouldn't you want to meet up with Sam so you can, like, get a little bit of blood from him? That is a really good point. Right? I think, like, Dean is is just so mad that he isn't able to, like, really think straight, to be honest. But, like, yeah. Ironic. No, you're so right. I think, like, that whole scene, I honestly, like, I feel bad because, like, obviously it's, like, a misunderstanding and he's just frustrated in general, but, like, he's kind of (laughs) right. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, about... Well, we're on this case where this person is using sex to mind control people into murdering. So maybe it's a bad idea to have a hookup with someone you don't know. Right. Yeah, keep it in your pants for once. Right. I need you to keep it in your pants. <laughs> right. So like, like he's not wrong. It's just they're both being idiots. That's just the Winchester way. Yeah. <laughs> Stupidity, truly, the Winchester way. <laughs> Jordan, I'm curious if you clocked that Nick Monroe was not really from the FBI. I didn't, but I did find it extremely curious that his badge looked exactly like Sam and Dean's, which is a fake. So I was really iffy at first. Oh. Yeah, because like on a rewatch for me, this scene where they introduce him is really silly because like they're all three of them fake FBI agents. <laughs> so it's just like three fakes like grilling each other on their fake information. <laughs> and like, <laughs> then they have the fake FBI guy get yelled at by the fake FBI assistant FBI director. director. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Do you, have either of y'all ever seen the show Grimm? Grim. Oh, like an episode. Yeah, I think an I've episode. seen like one episode of that. Okay, the only reason I bring it up, and it could have nothing to do with anything. I think I tried to look up the timeline and I forgot what it was. But the main character in Grimm, and Grimm is a is a show that was on in NBC for a while, where basically it's set in Portland. It's a cop who can see fairy tale monsters. He's a Grimm, right? Uh, and he can kill them, like a very specialized hunter almost. But his name is Nick in the show. And Nick <laughs> happens to make best friends with a werewolf creature named Monroe. And they oh, have that's a so very wacky. intense bromance. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah, so whenever they say Nick Monroe, I just think of the ship Nick and Monroe from the show, <laughs> which that's is amazing. So funny. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You see, well, the whole time I'm watching this, I'm thinking of just other things that this actor has been in. Jordan, I'm sure you recognized him. him. Um, Jim Parrick, who played Nick Monroe, was um, in True True Blood Blood for a really long time. He was Hoyt, Jessica's boyfriend. And then currently he's in 911 Lone Star, which is the spinoff Texas version of 911, the firefighter and uh, first responder show. And he plays a character called Judd. I do not watch Lone Star. I watch the other one because Rob Lowe is the main character of Lone Star. And I just really don't like his acting. So I've never watched Mm. a single episode, but I'm sure that Jim Parrick is really good in that. And earlier I mentioned Jordan that he does look like another actor to me. I always get them confused. He looks like the guy who was in the Croatoan 
episode in season two um who was the he turned out in the end to have been a demon the whole time and that oh, actor yeah. is in um the blacklist as the main character's like partner in the cia the actor's name is diego Klattenhoff. character's name is donald wrestler but yeah i always get him mixed up with Peric. they look similar to me in that yeah, they both they kind do. of look like a thumb <laughs> Oh, um, so about the show Grimm, I have, like, a weird thing where I refuse mm-hmm. to watch it because my, um, last name is spelled the same way as that TV show, mm-hmm. and when that show was airing, anytime I would be, th- I would have to give my name for something, people would always be like, oh, do you watch that show, Grimm? And I'm like, yes, yes, because my last name is Grimm, <laughs> I'm obsessed with everything Grimm. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, like I, like when people at work would be like, oh, do you have a brother? <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. I hate that shit so much. Ugh. So while Sam is hooking up with Kara and she's doing her big people grow apart YOLO speech to him, Dean is uh, <laughs> distracting Nick at the club so that Sam can go investigate some more. And I just, I don't know how we're not supposed to perceive this as like a date. It's a date. It is a date. You don't, it's a date. It's a date. You can't not make it a date. I'm sorry. Like they spend the whole episode conflating the siren with sex and sexuality and attraction and then have the siren hang out with Dean and like flirt with him about his car and like his taste in music and all this stuff. I'm like, especially when they have them in the club talking to each other, it's not like they're not both looking around, like aware of their surroundings, but they're so they're focused on each other. And I'm like, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, but like if the siren is is presenting itself as a man to Dean and they're ignoring like the the blatant female sexuality that's presented all around them then i don't know what conclusion we're supposed to draw about dean other than the idea that what he's looking for is not female companionship it's male companionship yeah like the fact that they even like flirt with the idea of that is like insane Mm -hmm. it's insane to me i don't know how anyone can watch this episode and be like yeah he's totally totally straight (laughs) well plus like they need to like not use phrases like the siren appears as your wildest fantasy and like things like your dream girl yeah yeah, it's just they're really out there doing that on purpose i know they are plus like i know that they did hand stuff in the car and i cannot be convinced otherwise (laughs) yeah no i mean like i don't think you're wrong In fact, I think you're correct. <laughs> Especially on the second ride after oh he my got God, his yeah. mouth skeeted yeah. in. Also, can I just say, like, extremely neurodivergent behavior to, like, bond over a shared special interest. <laughs> I know, I And, like, know. these are, like, niche factoids. This is not, like, oh, cool, you like the same band as me. Like, they're talking, like, who participated in recording sessions on a track that was released in the 1960s. Like, this this is like some insane level neurodivergence like <laughs> oh i love dean i have a question 
I think I already know the answer, but I know there's sometimes some discourse about how aware Dean is of his possible uh, not straightness. And the siren continuously says, you know, you wanted um, the perfect younger brother, someone who looks up to you and everything. The fact that, okay, the fact, tangent, the fact that the siren (laughs) says we can be brothers forever is so much creepier than them just being gay. Oh my god, it's so bad. It's bizarre. Um, especially it's weird. again when they've conflated the idea of the siren with sex, and then when they right. add the element of like a sibling bond to it, it just makes it feel like they're trying to point in an incest direction, and that makes me deeply uncomfortable. I'm like, yeah, which, yeah. which do you want? Mm-hmm. Which do you want? Do you want the extremely disgusting taboo thing to be what people watch this and get out of it? Or do you want it to just be gay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, back to my original point, but like the siren continuously says that like you, you're looking for a brother, blah, blah, blah. Is it possible because he's reading that, because he's picking that up from Dean, that that's kind of how Dean's phrasing it to himself? Like maybe he doesn't quite, he's like, I want male companionship, but the closest thing he has is Sam. So that's the only thing he can compare it to? I don't know. I think that's possible. I just also don't think that Dean I'll try anything once Winchester is unaware of the fact that he would like to suck cock. I just don't. (laughs) Like, maybe he doesn't let himself do it, but that boy knows he's not straight. Also, can we talk about, am I the only one who clocked, like, that Vim switch and, like, how the siren was acting in that final scene? Kind of like the more flamboyant villain switch, the like gentle touching of yes. Dean's hair when he pulled him off with Sam. Like Yes. And it was even down to like costuming. He was he was more like butch and like um like his attire was a little more casual and all this stuff up until the the scene in the hotel. And then he's wearing like a suit. And you're so right that he did feel a little more feminine. Like, it was all about his posture and, like, the delivery of sentence and everything. And, like, I definitely, you know, there is, like, this stereotype about, like, gay men are more effeminate, therefore they talk with a more feminine lilt. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. that's true. I don't think you necessarily see it here, or at least not like extremely, but it is severely less gruff and masculine than it was before. And it also shows me that there was some kind of direction there as well to tell that actor to act more feminine. Yeah, exactly. Even if feminine wasn't the choice of words, they knew the result that they were trying to get. So yeah, like I'm 100% with you. Like they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. (laughs) Like no one, there's no way they don't like, it it boggles the mind. Truly it boggles the mind, Jordan. Absolutely. I hope this isn't getting ahead of ourselves, but I do like that Bussy wins. Bussy always wins. Oh my God, Bobby to stop the Bussy. (laughs) (laughs) needed bobby to come hate crime him (laughs) literally (laughs) oh bobby oh my gosh wait okay i forgot i was gonna say this earlier so when nick is like introduced the first time and he's like oh let's all collaborate on the case or whatever which like by the end of the episode you realize like oh he's trying to get rid of the evidence or whatever like get them off his tail yeah 
But, like, Dean starts to tell him no because, and he says something about, like, we're lone wolves. And I immediately burst out laughing this time because that is exactly what they say in the fucking Ghost Facers episode. That's what the Ghost Facers say. Oh, that's Do you so remember funny. that? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> we're lone wolves, and sometimes lone wolves need more wolves. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Good Man, shit. the gift of being neurodivergent. When you just have to say the thing, you can't stop mm-hmm. yourself. <laughs> Honestly, that's Dean. Such a dork. But he's our dork. He is. I love him. My little peanut. <laughs> to talk more about sort of an intratextual kind of thing, like between between episodes... With Dean in particular, we have mentioned before how often he's placed with shapeshifters mm-hmm. and, you know, what that might say about his sexuality or gender or his idea of himself within society. And I just thought it was probably worthwhile to note that technically, and now it's based on illusion and, you know, deception, but technically the siren here is a shapeshifter. And whenever there's been shapeshifters before, they've gone back and forth between masculine and feminine. And I think it's it's notable that the siren does that same thing and is so focused on Dean in particular. I'm just like, gay and trans little Dean, look at him go. <laughs> Can I say about... One thing with Supernatural I hope gets explored eventually is that one of the things I love about Buffy is the ambiguity of monsters, especially when we're introduced to monsters like the Siren, who like, maybe the Siren's urges are monstrous, but the Siren is fully aware of what they're doing and they're fully cognizant. They're not like the Rougarou who just has this like unnatural need to just kill and eat. I just like the idea of like, I'm like, what do these monster communities like look like? Um, are there monsters who, like a siren, who is monstrous, who chooses to use their shape-shifting to just fit into society? Yeah, definitely. And I think that is not something that's left unexplored in this show. And we sort of see a little bit of it at the beginning of the series. There's the group of vampires that don't eat people, for example. Did you guys notice they were, like, constantly doing mirror shots with the siren? Yes. <laughs> so many. Just in case you forgot... This is it's what they look ugly. like. Yeah. <laughs> I was a little sad, though, because, like, their creature's design leaves something to be desired. I understand that it's, like, a low-budget show, but sometimes I wish they did look a little different. <laughs> yeah, they're really into this whole, like, sphincter mouth kind of idea when it comes to the monsters yeah. they make. I did like the... In, in the throat, the thing that secreted the poison. That was cool. I like that. I definitely think with the mirrors, they were trying to do, like, it wasn't so much, like, it was that they were reminding us that it's a creature that doesn't actually look how it looks. But I feel like, you know, the whole idea of the siren is that it is a mirror to whoever it's interacting with. So they were trying to sort of bonk us with this, like, thematic idea, which kind of makes it even worse that they kept showing the mirror. I don't know. I was like, this is just, like, a tiny editing thing, in my opinion, but I get nitpicky like that sometimes. It's okay. They sometimes just are really heavy-handed with the point. Like, we get it. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, it it still escapes people, even when they're heavy-handed. It amazes me. Yeah, yeah. 
how do we feel about the brothers showdown their like argument and their fight right here the fight was so good oh yes I really liked it. The choreography was really good. The fight felt fast-paced and exciting. The um, emotional stakes, I don't think we were really learning anything new, which I was kind of expecting, except for, I guess they're just kind of now revealing that they know each other's, like, secret. Not that Mm -hmm. Dean really has a secret. He's just kind of getting called out. Felt bad for him. It's kind of new information that Sam has this elevated opinion of himself, or rather that he has an opinion of Dean as being beneath him. That's kind of new information. True. Your butthole. Because we we get the sense he he wants to keep Dean at arm's length with certain things, but before this point, I don't think it is clear in any capacity that Sam thinks that Dean's not good enough to help him. And then he gives him an ass whooping. Then he gives him an ass whooping, yeah. I did like it, though. Um, I actually thought that that conversation about Sam's, like, heightened sense of self, like, kind of leads up to where his character is headed. Because yeah, I do think that sure. this inflated ego mixed with, like, the demon possession and the fact that he thinks he has the power to end mm-hmm. whatever Lilith is doing. I think that's leading up to a pretty exciting finale. Yeah. Something that really sticks out to me in the dialogue of this fight scene is right before Bobby comes and interrupts them, Dean says to Sam essentially that it's not Sam's supposed quote-unquote monstrosity one way or the other. Like, it's not the fact that Sam has demon blood or he's psychic or any of these things that he's actually mad about. His problem is that Sam has become untrustworthy. I enjoy that they make that... Um, specific distinction here because I think that is something that we wonder about Dean still, you know, given his attitude towards Sam's use of his powers up until this point. I don't think Sam has shown himself to be very trustworthy, at least in the context of this episode. So yeah, I think in the context of this episode, like, yeah, he's keeping his stuff with Ruby private. But the thing that is frustrating about Sam in this episode is that he's engaging in risky behavior. (laughs) Yes, I think that's much more problematic than premarital sex. Oh, my God. Oh, that reminds me. I kind of love that they just, like, bring up the fact that, like, oh, Kara's new in town. Kara's ex-husband just died a couple of months ago. And, like, she's, like, really honestly kind of suspicious for a second. But then they're like, oh, no worries. I'm sure it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I want to know if she killed her husband. Yeah, they... I can't can't leave us hanging like that. that. (laughs) That's my biggest question at the end of this episode is like, but did she do it? (laughs) Well, we know it's only the boys' responsibility to kill human murderers if they're poor. So. Oh, no. (laughs) And from Appalachia. No. So I think she's okay. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. That's upsetting. That hurts. So we briefly mentioned the Siren's change of wardrobe at the end, and I know that I didn't really talk about the costumes very much in this episode, mostly because I think the costuming of sex workers in most mainstream TV is just boring. Like, yeah, we get it, they're taking their clothes off, 
But the one thing I do feel obligated to point out, at the end, Sam is wearing that fucking red shirt that I fucking hate. I knew exactly what you were going to bring up. That fucking shirt. I fucking hate that shirt. It's so bad. Does it ever go away? Why? What do you mean, why, Ripley? Do I need to break down this this shirt again? Okay, so the thing with this shirt is (laughs) the cut is horrible, first off. I don't know what's going on with the collar there. Like, why is it cut so low when it also doesn't, like, have, like, any collar kind of deal going on? But then also there's the fact that the damn thing is patterned on the inside instead of the outside. So, like, there's this Paisley-esque pattern in red on the inside, like, on the lining of the shirt, such that when you roll the sleeves... It is then on the outside, but it just makes it look like you're wearing your shirt inside out. Also, the cut and collar are horrible on Jared. It just looks bad. I have a vendetta <laughs> okay. against this shirt. They, they were using it from season one. <laughs> They're still using it. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Limited budget. Why I get it. It's just, it's yeah. just, ugh. They even put the trickster in it in the mystery spot episode. I think they use that shirt to show Sam's descent into madness. Yes, I think they do. Because all the times they've brought it up, it's been about something negative to do with Sam. One of the first times I remember it was he was wearing it on uh, the Scarecrow episode. He was wearing it at the end of the Croatoan episode i think that was the end of that one where dean is finally like oh yeah dad said i have to kill you blah 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 anyway that's like their go-to sam shirt i will point out also that dean is wearing the same flannel that he wore in dream a little dream of me the green and white um plaid one and notably he hasn't been wearing his dad's jacket all that much he usually wears more of a green canvas thing over top of his shirts but he is wearing his dad's leather jacket here which feels like him sort Mm -hmm. of turtling to me yeah i did notice that i think a lot about costume choices (laughs) since we're talking about the end I have a little tangent I'd like to go on about the blocking of this last scene, if that's okay. Oh yeah, absolutely. Do. Do go on. Obviously, at the end of the scene, the guys have just finished talking to Bobby and everything, and they're shown so that they look like they're under a bridge, and it could kind of be seen as the, you know, like the the saying, water under a bridge, you know, they've aired out their grievances and everything. Right. However, I noticed something a little different. So, this blocking is the literal opposite of what we saw at the end of Yellow Fever. The characters are swapped, the cars are swapped, the scenery is changed from bright yellow to dark, like a blue color because it's overcast. Mm -hmm. There's water instead of it being dry because it was in the quarry at Yellow Fever. And the reason I bring it up is because at the end of Yellow Fever, the brothers were on the same page at that point. Yes, yeah. Dean still had some stuff, and yep, Sam still had some stuff, but they were in it together. And now, you can literally see they've done a 180. They're turned around now. They're not on the same page anymore, and everything is, you know, opposite day at this point. And I just thought that was really interesting. I mean, Bobby 
looks the exact same way. He drives the same way. Right. Sam mm-hmm. is on one side. Sam is on the left. Dean is on the right. And then when they swap it, it's like literally the exact opposite. Yeah. And they even make an effort to bring you out of like the general flow of the end of these episodes by having Bobby give them soda instead of beer. Yeah, they exactly. They have like their celebratory yeah. beer. Yeah, no, you're totally right. I I wouldn't have noticed that about like being opposite from Yellow Fever, but that's a really good point because they absolutely are not on the same page anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, thank oh, you for bringing up the soda. Dumbos. I meant to and I forgot. <laughs> of course, of course. The details, they matter to me. That's like the only time that happens. They always drink beer. Right. The only other times it's notable is if they're drinking El Sol. Right. Yeah, so that was, even that was weird. Yeah, definitely not on the same page anymore. Womp womp. Drama llama. <laughs> All right. I think it's time for the fan fiction. Nice. Am I finally going to get my Dean X Inuyasha? No. <laughs> and every time you say that, I put it off even longer. No! no. <laughs> What I will tell you is that the one I picked is actually in the context of the final season. When I was searching for a fic for this episode, you will not believe how many mermaid fic, fic where literally the boys are sirens, pirate AUs, etc, etc, there were. Also, a good 60% of them were Omegaverse. Which kind of tracks if they're like monsters or their main romance is a monster. Like, I, I, okay, I see that. You're doing the weird monster dick thing and like different (laughs) habits surrounding gender and sexuality. Like, all right. But, you know, I'm a little squicked out by some of that stuff. And for whatever reason, I just find mermaid fic to be cringe. For me, I just can't do it. So I went with something a little more tame. (laughs) Apologies. Nothing's exciting anymore like it was in season one. (laughs) The title of this one is This is a Love Song. It's by AO3 user Redbrick Rose, who's also an extensive meta writer. She's pretty active on Twitter, although I think she might be private only for the moment, which makes sense because Supernatural fandom is large and very, very scary. The summary of this one is very brief. It says, Sirens are fucked up. Everyone is tired of mindfuck monsters. Which, fair. Fair and true. Amen. This one is rated M. The ships are Destiel and Silene. The characters are Cass, Dean, Sam, and Jack, largely, although I imagine Eileen must be in there at some point since Eileen is listed as a major relationship. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Additional tags are um, Season 15, Episode 11, The Gamblers, Season 4, Episode 14, Sex and Violence, Castiel and Dean Winchester Need to Use Their Words, Love Confessions, Background Case, Sirens, The Kind of Consent Issues That Come with Siren Territory, Demi-romantic Castiel, demisexual Castiel, feelings what plot, alcohol as a coping mechanism, case fic, and additional warnings in author's note. And notably, this one is in the collection um, Dustiel Fans Survey faves. So this was voted by a number of people to be added to a collection of fandom-wide favorites. Despite its low number of hits, this one only has about 1,800 hits, and it was published two years ago. Very brief, only about 9K words. Short. Very. 
I was drawn to this one because I really like the idea of including some sort of ace spec idea of sexuality when it comes to the siren and how might those interact. You know, the thing in the episode is that it all operates on oxytocin. So because it's a hormone that occurs in the brain naturally, you would think that it might still have that same kind of impact or effect. But I was interested in thinking about like, well, what if it didn't? And then like, how does the interaction of Dean and or Cass with a siren affect their uh, particular relationship, especially in the last season, Jesus? Yeah, I do find that very interesting, especially like with oxytocin, it also could be used as something platonic, as stated in this episode, supposedly I use platonic with air quotes. Right. I'm not sure, but I am intrigued. I think it does sound very interesting. Like you said, I would um, be curious about, like, the asexuality part of that. Okay, well, let's read the episode. Okay, so I'm gonna rate this a 4 out of 5 red and black suits. Because I had a lot of fun during this episode. Do I think this is, like, a good episode in the scope of things? I No, I don't feel like it's particularly, like, well-written or that the monster is that particularly interesting. I just, they introduced it in a really goofy way that was kind of fun for us to dissect. So that's why mm-hmm. I give it a four out of five. What about you, Ripley? I will rate it three nipple pasties out of five. <laughs> Incredible. We're halfway towards a good time. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Literally and metaphorically. You're welcome. Well, what about you, Jasper? I am rating this one the highest with a 4.5 out of 5 indirect kisses because that's how Dean gets got. Bump bomb. I forgot to mention that while we were talking about it, but I could not stop laughing about the fact that he gets got by an indirect kiss. <laughs> it's such a Dean move, honestly. It's so goofy. <laughs> don't don't <laughs> fucking tell me this is not a platonic situation. Shut the fuck up. Anyway, <laughs> I give this one a 4.5 out of 5 because honestly, I feel like it has a good balance of case details to interesting character work. I like the way they did the siren, even though it's kind of stupid. And I think it does a lot of good setup for the trajectory of the long-term plot. Plus, I just have a lot of fun being like, gay, 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 homosexual, gay, this entire episode. (laughs) (laughs) And like, that's really what it's all about for me. Yeah, true. Do you think that's why he put the dad's jacket back on? Maybe he was feeling a little, like, vulnerable about it? Oh, yeah, no, I mean, like, I definitely think he was feeling emotionally vulnerable, and that's why he was wearing it again at the end, yeah. Um, Whether it was because of the siren or because of conflict with Sam in particular, who's to say? Why not both? Right. But yeah, absolutely. Okay, Jordan, what next? Oh, boy. Bestow upon us your wisdom. Okay, we're on episode 15. We have to be getting back to, like, the main plotline of the season, right? <laughs> like, that has to be happening soon. We're all, we only have seven episodes left. Where has Castiel been? We haven't seen him in a minute. No Castiel, no Uriel, no Ruby. God, I'm truly at a loss. I guess we're gonna go... Who have been the consistent plot characters? Who have we had that's been a repeat character besides Bobby this season or the Angels? Anyone? Pam? 
Pam, yeah, Pam also is a character. Um, there's Ruby, there's Anna, yeah, Uriel, Cassiel, uh, yeah, and Bobby. That's that's who's coming to mind. Those are those are the folks. All right, maybe now that Dean has been insulted, had his ability insulted by Sam, even though he whooped his ass, uh, mm-hmm. maybe he's like, you know what, Sam, fuck it. You think you know what's best? Let's go for it. And they're going to meet up with Ruby. And Sam and Dean is going to be all like, this isn't a bad idea, but if it's what you want to do. And he gets to watch Sam fuck up. That's all I got. Angsty. Yeah. yeah. Love that. Love that. Love that. It's a that. lot of fun. We love some angst. We we love a bitch being petty. <laughs> we love to see that. Maybe I'm just like projecting because that's what I would have done in that situation. Like, oh, you think you're so much better than me? Okay, let's do it your way. Let's see him fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Relatable. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to On the Road with Supernatural. Our theme music was composed by Anthony Ployhar and special thanks to Sophia London for our logo. If you're having fun, hit us up on Tumblr, Instagram, or Twitter at OTR Supernatural or contact us by email at ontheroadwithsupernatural at gmail.com with any questions or feedback. That's all for today. See you next time in Grable, Wyoming. Bye. 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 Bye.